Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, everybody. Welcome into another episode of the Can We Please Talk podcast. As always, I'm Mike Leon. And I'm Nick Samari. On the program today, the latest of what is happening in the Ukraine and plus President Biden's speech recently in Poland. Nick and I will discuss later on the program. Actress Amy Hargraves will be joining us. You may remember her from 13 Reasons Why and Homeland. She's got a new project coming out. We're going to talk about everything around activism in Hollywood. And later on in our final segment, the slap heard around Hollywood which just happened at the Oscars, Nick and I on the Will Smith, Chris Rock uh, saga, if you will, because uh, recently Will Smith just issued an apology as of this taping. So we'll get into that later on in the program. First, I say hello, as always, my co-host, Nick Saveri. Nick, you, for the people that are watching on YouTube, they're blessed to see you're in a dress shirt. Uh, for the people on podcast, they can feel the dress shirt. Uh, tell me a little <laughs> bit about your wardrobe choice for today. Speaking of Oscars and getting dressed up. I, I mean, real talk, the executive producer of the show hit me up this morning and said, hey, man, we got, you know, we got a guest coming on dressed appropriately. That's right. It was quick. I'm in the middle of a meeting. I got obviously all my work stuff to do. I see this message from my boss. I'm like, I got to come correct. So, so here I am. Right. Uh, but it, it's good. I am finally I am finally of the dry cleaning generation. I, I have been. But you know, since moving to Pennsylvania, I just never got around to it because for the most part, I get by on polos and you know, hoodies and stuff for work. So it's fine. It's good to step the game up. And other than that, everything else good on your way, man. It is. It is good, man. I, I actually got my first work trip, not related to the Southeast uh, work that we're doing. I should be up in actually Westchester, your former neck of the woods in two weeks and be working with some principals up there. I'm excited to do that and finally get back to good old New York state. Yeah. That'll be my first time back in New York since the pandemic started. 
That's awesome, man. Good to hear that. Everything's good my way. Uh, Florida, sunshine, weather. I can't complain. Um, let's get right into our show, man, because we've got a pretty jam-packed show today. And let's start off with, as we've always mentioned throughout this entire invasion and the war that's happening in Ukraine, we would try to update you as best as we can in this podcast format in real time with information. If you haven't you know, been watching over the weekend, the coverage around the news networks, let's get into the latest as of this taping and coming. If you're listening on a Tuesday morning, peace talks are set to start today uh, between Russia and the Ukraine, potentially taking place in Turkey. Uh, negotiators are arriving in Istanbul for the first face-to-face peace talk, excuse me, in more than two weeks, as both sides have kind of played down the chances of a major breakthrough. But, uh, you know, Vladimir Putin obviously is not ready to compromise. Zelensky has said he he will make some compromises, but it depends on what Putin is really after. Uh, obviously, over the weekend, President Biden uh, was in uh, Poland and meeting with other NATO leaders um, across the different countries. He gave a a speech that we're going to talk about in a little bit because there was a major takeaway from that speech that President Biden, who gave a presser uh, earlier in Monday, uh, was talking about the comments over the weekend. Um, So let's get into some of the numbers, because the UK military intelligence says now that Russia is expected to send more than 1000 mercenaries into eastern Ukraine as they continue to suffer heavy losses. We talked about this on our last episode that Potentially 15,000 Russian troops have died as of Ukraine's latest figure. Other officials from the U.N. and around the world are saying that could be a little bit less. But whatever, the capital city of Kiev still stands in Ukrainian control. Kiev sees no signs on the ground that Russia has given up a plan to surround the Ukrainian capital. However, the Ukrainian Defense Ministry spokesperson, Oleksandr Motskyansky, oh man, I probably butchered that. Well done. Yeah, uh, maybe we'll see. Uh, He said, for now, we don't see the movement of enemy forces away from Kiev. So the capital city, which uh, has been the eye of Putin's desire, uh, unfortunately, is still being surrounded by the Russian forces. Ukrainian forces, though, have seized back full control of the town of Irpin. Uh, It's a few miles away from Kiev. um, So that is good news. You know, when we had Alex Clement on from G-Zero Media, he was talking about there's probably not going to be this potential of Russian, I mean, of Ukrainian troops fighting them back into the eastern and southeast regions, right? There's going to be some type of territorial, you know, compromise now that Russia has kind of taken control of a couple of different cities from Odessa and what's happening in Maripol, and obviously the site of where Chernobyl was that they took over those areas. But whether or not uh, the major cities are fall or still remain under Ukrainian control as of right now. They're still under Ukrainian control. Um, Nick, some quick takeaways when you hear all that. I want to get into President Biden's speech over the weekend. Yeah, I mean, I think the peace talks are indicative. The, the re, I mean, recently getting back into it is I don't think the war is going or the invasion is going the way Russia had thought. Like there is no surrender. Uh, the Ukrainians are, are continuing to be resilient. Uh, but it's interesting you bring up the fact that, you know, Zelensky is putting on the table potential concessions, um, which is surprising for him to be open about it. But I think he's trying to be a leader. He's trying to save as many people's lives as he can. And this is the sacrifices that you sometimes make. But it isn't It isn't telling that we're at a place where we're seeing a pause in combat and, and the hopes, or maybe, I'm sorry, actually I misspoke, not necessarily pause in combat, but the willingness to explore the end talks. And Mike, you know, I've obviously talked offline. You know, we've talked about Russian general recently being, you know, killed by his own troops. Um, morale in the Russian army seems to be waning. And it's something we've seen previous episodes that we've talked about this. 
The strength of this army, like any army, is predicated on the will of its people. And that has seemed shaken from the beginning of this conflict to today. So that seems to play a role a little bit in you know what's bringing Russia to the table. Yeah. You know, um, we had obviously award-winning uh, foreign cor- correspondent Amy McKinnon from Foreign Policy on a, a few weeks back before the conflict started. She just came out with a recent article and some reporting uh, about where does Putin's war in the Ukraine kind of go from here? And they spoke to a bunch of regional military experts from both the U.S. and European side, five potential scenarios that emerged from that article and those conversations. of A, a bloody stalemate, a B, a partition of Ukraine, C, some type of peace agreement that comes out of this, D, a decisive victory in either direction, and then uh, E, the black swan event, uh, which I don't even want to know what that is, and, and that doesn't sound great. Um, let's listen to President Biden's uh, speech because there was a major takeaway that a lot of people left with as President Biden gave this speech in Poland about, you know, obviously he was visiting with a lot of the Ukrainian refugees. Poland is housing the majority of Ukrainian refugees that have been over 3.2 million UN estimates have said have been traveling to different countries or at least have gotten to different countries, not only across their borders, but, you know, the U.S. is taking in 100,000 Ukrainian refugees. And he gave a speech and towards the end, he kind of said this, and everyone's kind of walking back the comments a little bit. And then he gave a clarifier later today. But take a listen to what President Biden said at the end of the speech. A dictator bent on rebuilding an empire will never erase a people's love for liberty. For God's sake, this man cannot remain in power. Do you believe what you said, that Putin can't remain in power? Or do you now regret saying that because your government has been trying to walk that back? Did your words complicate matters? Well, yes, three different questions. I'll answer them all. Number one, I'm not walking anything back. The fact of the matter is I was expressing the more outrage I felt toward the way Putin is dealing and the actions of this man, just just brutality of half the children in Ukraine. I had just come from being with those families. And uh, and so, uh, but I want to make it clear, I wasn't then, nor am I now, articulating a policy change. I was expressing the moral outrage that I feel, and I make no apologies for it. So, Nick, you heard President Biden's words there, um, and obviously the conference of what he just said about not walking it back. He's like, look, I'm, I'm, I'm not advocating for a regime, regime change. I'm not advocating for any type of policy change. He, t- he tend to use that a lot, policy change. Um, we, we talked about this offline about how it was a good speech, but kind of murked by that. And that's kind of dominated the news cycle in terms of this speech that like last 10 second soundbite of him, you know, just kind of letting his emotions go. And obviously it's the sentiment of potentially a lot of people uh, with, with key, you know, influential leaders around the world. Emmanuel Macron from France said, Hey, I don't echo those sentiments, but also I'm working with Vladimir Putin to kind of deescalate a lot of this. Your, your takeaways when you heard the speech on, on this past Saturday, and then also president Biden's minor gaffe there. And then the subsequent press conferences that have happened. Uh, Well, I, I mean, I guess politically it is a gaffe. I mean, obviously, we've had people on the show who you know talk who know well much more than obviously than I do on this. Um, I think it's the right thing to say, dude. We got we got a dictator running wild trying to reform the Soviet Union. Like, what are we doing here? Like, you know, I mean, we talked to, we talked to Alex, you know, at G Zero, and you know, the point of that outlet is the recognition that. You know, we have these global communities, national organizations, you know, that are supposed to help set the tone or a vision for the rest of the world. And it ain't happening. 
So I'm glad that a U.S. president came forward and said, well, I think what we all agree to is that any any leader who thinks it's it's okay to invade other nations is absolutely somebody who should be someone should be you know removed from power. Um, as far as as far as the speech goes, yeah, I thought it was excellent. Uh, I, I you know as you and I were talking about doing that, I were talking about the, the speech for today's show. Um, I had a chance to read just excerpts of it. You know, one of the things that Biden does a great job of is really I like connecting to the Russian people, like trying to separate. You know, at least for all of us, that that Putin isn't Russia. That Putin is the current leader of the country. But you know, Biden makes you know shares examples that he's worked with Russian leaders in the past. You know, our relationship with the with the Soviet Union with Russia, you know, at some point continue to show progress. You know, shout out to Mikhail Gorbachev, obviously. And now, you know, the country's in the throes of a madman, essentially. And you know, and Biden does a good job of sort of bringing that to light. You know, he says in the speech, like, you know, to the Russian people, like, you are not the enemy. Like, you are not the ones who are okay with children dying for this. Right. And I think to the rest of the world, it continues to draw a very important distinction that this is a matter of, you know, one leader who is just leading his country in a really just an unsettling place. And the rest of the world's got to make a decision as to what we're going to do about it. We certainly are. You know, one thing Biden also talks about is. I think about 140 or 180 um, oligarchs. It's funny how we throw that word around. Um, you know, assets are being frozen in the U.S. You know, we are as a country being aggressive about making sure that kind of money is not just running free in the United States. Um, he did a good job of talking about why we're not necessarily pursuing military options. What is the U.S. doing to support the Ukrainian people? I thought the speech outlines it well. Again, you're not going to see that in terms of because, you know, we've talked about Democrat messaging before. This is the story you're going to have to tell. It's lengthy. It's not easy. It's important. It's not going to be the most flashiest thing. And, you know, you and I led with um, that very ending part about regime change. Meanwhile, the rest of the speech talks about the history of our relationship and where, you know, where the Russian people are in all this and the ability to, as a president of the United States, out, you know, directly connect with Russian people and, and point to them and say that like, you're not at fault here. This isn't about you. Right. That's powerful stuff. And, you know, my hope is the White House figures out how to be able to distill it down to talking points because that's all we do these days. <laughs> you know, so. it's, all about, it's all about the talking points. You know, I uh, I hope that people, if you haven't gotten a chance to listen to the speech, because it was Saturday at like a 5, 6 p.m., obviously East Coast time, and it was late over in, in, in Warsaw where he was giving a speech or Poland. I forget what part of Poland he was in. Um, but check out the speech online if you want to hear more about it. Uh, we will continue to keep you updated as best as we can in this weekly podcast format about everything that's happening, where we are in the conflict. We have some more correspondents that are going to be coming on the program. One that was actually stationed there and saw a, another journalist lose his life there. That will be up in the coming weeks. Um, we've alluded to some of the great people that have done work across the news sphere from CNN, Fox News and NPR and Reuters as well covering this, please uh, support local journalists and to the journalists out there that listen to this program that are out there still in the region covering this, wherever you are in Kiev, Lviv, Kharkiv, wherever it may be, please continue to be safe. When we come back after the break, Amy Hargraves, actress extraordinaire. She's the best. Okay. She's on 13 reasons why Homeland. She's also on Showtime's billions as she was just on this past week's episode. Amy Hargraves on activism in Hollywood, her fantastic roles. When we come back, after the break. 
Nick, today's episode of the podcast is presented by our sponsors, the official sponsors of the Can We Please Talk podcast, Bones Coffee. You are the biggest coffee snob I know. You sent me damn right that damn machine, uh, the French press. The French press? I still have not taken it out of the box. Okay, you're killing me, man. You're killing me. But listen to me. Tell the people why Bones Coffee is actually delicious because we've we've had it now. We've ordered it. It's delicious. I'm not kidding with you. Tell the people why Bones Coffee is delicious. Put your coffee snob hat on. Oftentimes when we when we're talking about flavored coffee, what you're basically saying is you're roasting beans and you're essentially throwing on some syrup or whatever nonsense onto it. Right. And then when you grind it, you're basically getting that mix. I don't know what the secret is at Bones, but what they've managed to do is that every flavor that you get from the smell, from the minute you grind the beans, from when you pour, see Mike is not with that French press life. I am hashtag French press life. When you pour the hot water over the freshly ground beans, that smell just takes you somewhere, man. Um, And you couple it with the taste. Like it legitimately, you get cotton candy, it tastes like cotton candy, but actually let's use real flavors. Carrot cake just recently came out. Red velvet has come out. I get the text alerts. So every time a new flavor drops or a flavor is being re is being re put back into circulation, I'm on it. So I'm on the flavor side. Mike is a single origin person. So Sumatra, Costa Rica, Colombia, that's, that's Mike's bag, but bones satisfies both of us. So Mike, we got to get these folks a discount. How does does that happen? Well, listen, what a segue because, and he's right. I love the K cups. You can go on bonescoffee.com check out everything that they offer them for 12 ounce bags the sample packs single served k cups like like nick just mentioned i am about that k cup life hashtag k cup life but it translates because it's really delicious they also have ways for you to be a subscriber to bones coffee and you get monthly discounts but if you want one discount just from this show right now 15 percent off your first order go to bonescoffee.com put everything into that cart that you want to order from coffee from them in gear as well that they sell and then at, at checkout promo code can we please talk all one word you're gonna get 15 percent off your first order head to bonescoffee.com today like we teased at the top she is instantly our new favorite guest uh maybe our favorite guest of all time uh i i love forgiving compliments amy so uh you have seen this actress on 13 reasons why on netflix and as well on homeland uh which is uh showtime she has a film out now on apple tv plus called they them us you can check out that film. It's fantastic. And then also she was just telling us off air that she was recently on Billions, a very popular show on Showtime as well. So check her out. Amy Hargraves, thank you for hopping on the podcast with us, Mike and Nick. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Amy, I listen, I mean, this is a weird way to start the program because or the interview, oh, wow. excuse me, because the yes, you know, what happened at the Oscars the last uh, couple of days ago um, as of this taping you know, with Will Smith and Chris Rock in the exchange. I I don't necessarily want to ask you like your take on it, unless you would like to give that, but I would love for you to take our audience inside of what it's like to sit in an auditorium, you know, for an award ceremony and then something crazy happens and people don't really know what's going to happen within the context of the show. Has that ever happened to you? Some type of event like that? And then if you have any take on what actually transpired, we'd love to hear it. Let's just jump right in with both. I think there's been, you know, a million and one hot takes on Twitter in the last, you know, 24 to 48 hours. Um, 
I don't think I really have anything to add to any of that um, besides the fact that uh, I thought Jada Pinkett Smith looked amazing last night. So let's just say that she looked gorgeous at the Oscars. Um, what is it like to be in a room like that? I've never been, I mean, that, that was kind of a, a singular uh, experience last night. So I've never been in anything quite like that, but these, these uh, tighter knit community, than you would think, you know, um, everybody kind of cross paths, cross, how do I speak English? Crosses paths with each other. A lot of people have worked together before. Um, it's a small little club. So perhaps there was, you know, old blood there. Um, and I did see that other people jumped in to try to kind of calm things down because people know each other and they care about each other and they, I don't think anyone really wants this kind of thing to be happening, especially not, you know, slightly delayed TV. So um, I think the community kind of closed in on itself and uh, tried to kind of put their finger in the dam. And uh, I'm not surprised. Yeah, totally agree with that. Um, yeah, I want to get your uh, because you, you've been on a couple of different shows that I teased about at the top that really are central to a lot of the themes that are playing out now in society. Right. You were on a show that was really about politics and government. And I know that there were former CIA, FBI folks that were working on that particular show to help with crafting the writing. Then you were on a show talking about teen issues um, that, that are prevalent and playing out in every day. I would love to get your take first and foremost, overall uh, societal level wise about activism in Hollywood. I feel like, and you're pretty civically engaged and, and in terms of you know, using your platform in the right manner. I want to get your take on, you know, actors and actresses in Hollywood using their platform. And, you know, in terms of we've seen some actors and actresses where they've either gone, you know, uh, to the left or to the right, regardless of political leanings, mm -hmm. but they've been mm -hmm. chastised for doing that. And it has kind of cost them jobs in the process. I think of Deborah Messing on one side. And then I think of, you know, the recent girl that was in The Mandalorian. Now, again, political views, you know, you got to answer the qualifier, right? Who's president and was he duly elected? But but when I think of using your platform uh, in terms of being an actor and actresses, I want to get your overall take on, on activism in Hollywood and how you use it uh, in terms of, you know, driving home certain things that, that play a crucial role in your life. Yeah. It's really, uh, it's really tricky, isn't it? It's really murky because um, actors are, we're people just like anybody else, um, but we do have these enormous platforms, you know, some bigger than others. And there's a responsibility that can come with that. Um, the way I manage that personally is to um, engage with things that are very personal and meaningful to me. Does it not, you know, um, invested in and engaged in lots of issues across the board, but I, I, I don't have to kind of, gosh, how do I say this? I try to keep it personal. So for me, um, I'm a, I'm a cyclist and I love riding my bike around New York city. So for me, like bike Twitter is the corner of the, of Twitter that I love and try to kind of put my voice out there and try to help, you know, things evolve and things change in a positive way. Cautious of, um, like centering myself in conversations that I don't necessarily need to be kind of the main character in. Um, and that is what works for me. Um, so yeah, I try to, I just try to keep it, keep it as, as personal and speak to things that I'm really well informed on or that really um, affect me or my family and friends very, uh, very closely. Um, other than that, it's, 
you know, it's a business like any other and, and for people not getting jobs for some, this is, that's a really tricky question. Um, listen, if bosses are uncomfortable hiring people with certain views, then I guess that's their right, you know? Um, and you have to live with those consequences, I guess, if you're going to, you know, be speaking for something that you feel strongly about, then I guess it's worth it. Amy, as Mike had mentioned at the top about just the different roles you've played, when you think of yourself as an actress or coming out of stepping out of your comfort zone, like inhabiting characters in these different worlds that you occupy between Homeland, Mm -hmm. 13 Reasons Why, and so on, and recently with Mm -hmm. Billions, Mm-hmm. Is there a particular show, character, what have you, where you found yourself having to dive in deeper, where it's probably like on the surface, a character that struck you as, how do I connect to this person? How do I relate to this person that you had to you know, sort of dig in a little harder to, to sort of absorb? Yeah, I mean, those are the best kinds of, yeah, Maggie Matheson on Homeland was super challenging because she was, I mean, if you go way back to season one, she's she's a doctor who's, you know, stealing medicine from the supplies at work, you know, from the, the samples at work to uh, treat her sister on the down low so that her sister doesn't have to tell the CIA that she has bipolar disorder. So just from jump, it's, um, that it's kind of one of the things I loved about that show and my storyline in particular was that none of the characters were all good or all bad. There was a, you know, we pl- kind of played in the gray areas that she was doing the right thing. Um, but, you know, it was morally questionable. So um, those are fun things to play. It's nice to be able to, uh, you know, it's fun to play the bad guy. It's fun to do things that you wouldn't normally do in your uh, real life. So it's just it's interesting things to marinate on as an actor. You know, kind of staying on Homeland, um, I, I read something a while back, and I think I just alluded to it a while ago about how real the show was in terms of emulating events of, you know, information trickling from CIA, you know, NSA, et cetera, et cetera, across the bureaus and the agencies. And I I would love to get your take as as an actress that worked on that show. Like how close was, you know, some of these former government officials or former people that worked in in the space, like how crucial were they to the writing and how close was in parallel to some of the events that have played out over time, obviously Brody getting kidnapped in Venezuela is not, or maybe there was some parallel there, but, um, but yeah, I would love to get your, what's wrong with you. That was, shot, that was shot in Puerto Rico too, by the way, little fun fact. Oh, uh, nice. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Puerto yeah. Rico, Venezuela, same thing. Yeah. Uh, but no, go ahead. Uh, same diff. Right. But yeah, I would love um, to get your take. Like how, how, how close was that show when you sit back now and look at it as, and I think it's one of you know the best shows in television history, specifically the first two seasons were so, so good. Um, and like you look back at that show now and you see the political events that have played out that kind of mirror some of the stuff from the show, like how close give us, give us kind of like an inside scoop there. So, you know, Alex Gansa and Howard Gordon, who created Homeland, which was based on an Israeli show, Hatchfin, which was the, the Israeli show was really uh, more about the prisoner of war coming home, whereas Homeland be, kind of became this two hander between the spy and the terrorist. So Hatufim was an Israeli show and it came with this, you know, very uh, beautiful reputation. And Howard and Alex um, wanted to adapt that for the United States. Um, Those two both are um, political science geeks, basically. They both went to Princeton and that's where they met and studied in the Woodrow Wilson School there. So they had that kind of background before they went out to Hollywood and worked on 
tons of things like 24 um, among other shows. Um, so they came at this project with a very, you know, they were fanboys for political science and for, for, for government and for, you know, all the, all of these kinds of things. So they took a very serious approach to the material and wanted to get it right. It's fictional stories, but what they would do every season uh, with, they would take the writers and Claire Danes would go down and Mandy Patinkin would go down too. I, I'm sure Damian Lewis went too in the early seasons before he died on the show. Um, they would go down to DC and meet with the CIA and have these little field trips where they would talk about, they would just bat ideas around. They would talk about, you know, obviously the CIA can't reveal top secret stuff, but they would, you know, bad ideas around and talk about different parts of the world. And, and then the writer, the writer's room and situations that were happening or possibly going to happen. And the writers would go back and, you know, suss out the year, the season, excuse me, and, and kind of figure out where they would go from there. So it was really based on these real conversations with real CIA agents. I don't think the FBI was involved as much, but um, in those particular meetings, um, and we did have a couple of writers, I'm spacing on their names right now, um, who did have military backgrounds. Um, there's one British guy, I forget his name. Um, oh, anyway, yes, th so they tried to keep it as authentic as possible, you know. Veering into mm -hmm. 13 Reasons Why, uh, Mike had yeah. mentioned a little bit at the top, you know, obviously, for me being in the education space, uh, you know, we're in an interesting place now. You know, we're talking more openly about men about mental health. You know, as an as an actor on the show, what was that conversation like? How do people get comfortable with a a, a very serious dialogue? Because the book itself was explosive. I mean, the the reaction to it to anyone. Mike and I are you know both parents, of course. And recently, I mean, my oldest is six, and you know, Mike's got some little ones. But you know, just for for you all as cast and thinking about the text and you know the work you all did. How do you how do you all feel that you've contributed to that discussion just as played out through a television show? And, and in your assessment, you know, where are we now as it relates to the portrayal of of mental health as it's as, as the discourse continues? Uh, we felt a huge responsibility. Get it right and um, be responsible uh, within this, you know, these big themes that we bring up. Uh, in the show and I'm really I'm proud of how we handled it I'm proud of our executive producers who from day one um, were all about the research they were all about leaning on experts they were all about helping us as actors be informed and help you know speak to these themes in a way because you know you get a job you're page um, doesn't mean we're mental health experts, but as we became kind of the faces of the show and especially our young cast, you know, you're getting DMs and messages and meeting people on the street. I, I bumped into a woman on the street, a young woman a month ago who recognized me and burst into tears because she was so um, personally affected by suicide and uh, in her family and really connected with the show and was very, um, just we were able to um, talk about and, and shine a light on. So um, was it, did we do it perfectly? Probably not, um, but we, we tried our best to be responsible and, and careful and, and, and kind of open up these dialogues in a way that we felt hadn't been done before. And I think, I think we did do that. You know, we had partnerships with uh, the Crisis Text Line, which is a really great uh, resource where you can, you know, text to get mental health 
having someone at the top like Selena Gomez be a part of, you know, she was one of our executive producers and she herself has had mental health struggles. Um, Having someone like her that so many young people look up to uh, was really helpful to get them to getting the message out. And in, in retrospect, I think it was really fortunate that our show um, was on before the pandemic because it kind of cracked open some things that then were already on the we all had to stay home for a really long time and struggle with death and fear and all of these things that we've been trying to manage, you know, young and old. So um, I feel like we maybe helped, you know, we got, got some, got some ideas out there, got some conversations flowing. I think also for parents um, we helped maybe start some scary conversations with, you know, teenage kids, you know, between parents and teenage kids that, you know, hopefully helps people get through a little bit easier. Yeah, I would I would echo those sentiments. Um, I thought you guys did a great job. Um, I want to stay on kids because you are working with a fantastic project called Speak Well, where you are an advisor role model for kids that want to get into the profession. There's other people that are part of this program, like former Knicks player John Wallace is a part of the program as well. Can you tell our audience a little bit about Speak Well, what you're doing there and the work you're doing with kids that want to get into the profession and, and, and you being an advisor and role model in it? Yeah, absolutely. So Speak Well was started by a friend and a former neighbor of mine and a mom also, I'm also a mom, uh, Patty Kennedy. Patty Kennedy had a career as an entrepreneur and a few years ago, uh, her young kids, you know, were, are in school here in New York City and she um, pulled together some students to do an after school class in public speaking because this is something that she, you know, is, is great at and thought she could help the kids out. Quickly, she started with nine kids in a classroom and it quickly evolved kind of with the kids kind of leading her forward. So I kind of she, it kind of revealed itself as she was doing it. It was, it became much more than a public speaking course. It became uh, a way for kids to kind of build confidence, to, to find their voice, to, to share experiences. And this initial group of nine kids uh, became the first middle school students to do TED Talks, which was kind of neat because these are kids who, you know, never, they were afraid to get up in front of the classroom and do a book report. Um, and then they are, they're up there. So it was at this moment where Patty realized, oh my goodness, we we're onto something here. This is the kids are really getting something out of this. And that was when she invited me to come and just do one class with the kids as like a role model, you know, because obviously what I do, you know, kind of dovetails with a lot of, um, what the, the messages that Patty was trying to get out. Um, so I jumped on board, um, John Wallace, like you said, the, the former Nick uh, came on board. We have Monica Morales, who's a, a, a T-York. She's on board as a role model. So the program has grown in, I think just a little over three years from nine students to a thousand students. Um, they've done um, panels with huge companies like UBS and uh, British Telecom around all kinds of subjects like, uh, you know, racism, mentoring, finding your voice, uh, teamwork. Uh, and it's been really, it's been really exciting to be a part of this as, as it grows. Uh, and we do have scholarship programs for kids who might not be able to afford it. Um, so just kind of growing by leaps and bounds and uh, the kids love it. And I'm just, I'm thrilled to be on board. And honestly, I, 
I, I said yes originally because Patty's a great friend and she's brilliant and anything Patty's involved with, I'd be involved with. So she, would you come and tell you? Yeah, sure. What, what is it? Okay. Yeah, I'll come. And, and it's turned into the, the most beautiful, uh, the most beautiful experience. So um, yeah, that's speak well. Just turning that to you for a moment, Amy, obviously speaking about um, that project, who would you identify for yourself just in your growth and development as an actor, but even prior to like finding your own voice as a person um, who helped, who was a mentor do you identify along the way? Cause it sounds like the work you're all doing at Speakwell is providing space for these nine kids and now more. But when you think about yourself, who, who do you consider sort of someone who unlocked that voice for you? That's a great question. Um, I guess in certain ways um, they were, you know, I, I, I started working as an actress when I was quite young. Um, I was the youngest of five and kind of loudmouth class clown kind of kid. And, uh, you know, I think my parents saw that and helped me channel it into something, you know, productive <laughs> and creative um, and really helped me do that. And, you know, I was too young to kind of figure that stuff out on my own. So they helped me with that. And, and I'm thinking in particular of, two um, teachers I had, uh, David Kramer was a music teacher I had starting in probably second or third grade, who kind of put me front and center for the first time. He was actually one of the, you know, first people who was like, you, you're singing and you're standing in the front and you're doing this thing. And I was like, oh, okay. And, you know, there was kind of no turning back from, from those moments. Um, so, and another teacher, Mr. Gansel, was a music teacher I had in fifth grade. He was also quite instrumental in kind of encouraging me and pushing me forward. Oh, teachers. That's right. And luckily, we have a former one uh, on this panel here. Uh, he does great work uh, in the education space. Uh, Amy, before we let you go, because uh, I want to tease out some of the new stuff that you're working on. I alluded to it uh, off air for everybody, and Amy corrected me on it with my New York accent, but They, Them, Us is available now on Apple TV Plus, so you can uh, obviously stream it on iTunes if you just want to buy it and you don't have an Apple TV I think, Plus. I think we're like 82%, 82% on Rotten Tomatoes or something. Last that time is I very, think. I mean, it's, that's high. That's very high. It's, it's, a, it's a sweet little movie. And, you know, just, I gotta, I gotta say, we were one of the first, like we, when the COVID protocols were approved through Screen Actors Guild, we started shooting on August 1st of 2020. And that was an enormous achievement. It's a tiny indie and we got it done in five weeks with no COVID positives. And we also turned out and made a beautiful little fun family, little risque, but nothing, you know, the teenagers can watch it. Right, right. Well, that's great because I, like I told everybody, it's it's available on Apple TV Plus. If you don't have a subscription, you can buy it on iTunes. Check out that film. But you you alluded to a couple of things that you have coming out. One that just recently was at Stop by Southwest. And now you're working on a new project, I believe, with Jim Gaffigan. Tell us a little bit about tell our audience a little bit about both of those projects. Yeah, so uh, Linoleum is the feature that, excuse me, just uh, just premiered at South by Southwest. Two lovely reviews. Um, it's kind of a little bit of a magical, realist um, family. I don't know if I'm doing it justice here. Jim Gaffigan stars in it. Ray Seahorn stars in it. Uh, uh, you know, from Better Call Saul. She's amazing. I play her sister. Uh, it's a really great ensemble, including Tony Shalhoub, Michael Ian Black. Um, so we're doing the festival circuit now, and I'm sure it will get distribution and it will be available probably in six months or so. So that's called Linoleum. Yeah. 
Amy, I cannot thank you enough for coming on the program and all you're doing with Speak Well really sounds great. I would love off air uh, to see how Nick and I could potentially even get involved in that because that sounds like a fantastic project. Like I mentioned, Homeland, 13 Reasons Why, They, Them, Us on Apple TV Plus or iTunes. Uh, thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Amy. Continue success to you. We will be fans and admirers. And by the way, you can watch her on Billions as well on this past Sunday on Showtime anytime. Thank you so much, Amy, for coming on the program. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Angie's list is now Angie, and caring for your home just got easier. Whether you need help with routine maintenance or a dream remodel, Angie makes it easy to see reviews, compare quotes, and connect with top local pros who can get the job done right. Plus, you can see upfront pricing and instantly book hundreds of projects. No phone tag, just the work you need done at a time that works for you. Angie's got your to-do list covered from start to finish. Book your next home project today at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. All right, our thank yous to Amy Hargraves. I, you know, I, I know she wanted to say a little bit more there on some of the stuff. That's, that's the challenge of having a publicist's ear listening to some of the things that you may potentially say, because I would have, I would, I, I, the activism in Hollywood thing is, is funny to me, not, and I don't use funny, uh, I don't have another word for it, but it's funny in the sense that um, I love the speeches people give to use their platforms to put attention to something that they truly strongly feel about. What I do worry about is how, and like she alluded to it, how that costs you a job, right? You and I think about it in this lens. We do this show. We have day jobs and I put my producer's hat on. I think about the certain things that I want to get out there and convey within an episode format. And I think some of them maybe don't have to full stop short, but maybe they do because, you know, I'm a working actor, actress, like I got to go fend for my supper. I got to go to auditions. I got to do these kind of things. So maybe I kind of hold back on what I want to say, but uh, I thought Amy was great. And, and by the way, they, them, us available on Apple TV plus, like I alluded to it, but it's, it's a pretty cool flick. I got to check it out last night. So uh, Nick, your overall takeaways on, on Amy, before we dive into Hollywood's biggest night and something crazy that happened there quickly, please. Yeah. It's uh, she, Amy's just refreshing. Um, the story she tells us about, you know, we talked about speak well, you know, the organization that she's working with to, you know, help students find their respective voice. Um, but, you know, to your point about activists or actors and activism, you know, something I think about, and I actually overheard portions of the Oscars last night, or some of the portion, uh, portions of speeches, particularly Jessica Chastain, who, um, had played, uh, I think Tammy Faye Baker, uh, good, good film, by the way. Um, and what, what I realize now though, is, this is really a matter of what you agree with, because you can have that platform. You can get up on the lectern and say something beautiful or whatever you want to say. But what we're realizing now, and I think about Kyrie Irving on this one, right? Like, let's take this to sports. I don't agree with that stance, but he's using his platform, quote unquote. And this is the double-edged sword now, is that you're going to have people in these different places that are going to say all kinds of things that are going to use their platform to put forward a message. And we all have to start be, being comfortable with provide they don't lose their job over it, which by the way, is really a matter of, you know, how much people are willing to invest in you and, you know, whether you're the face of an, of a show organization, whatnot, shout out to, to Sean Watson, unfortunately over there. So it's really a matter of that. Are you, do you carry enough cash that, you know, your employer is going to let you run wild and say what you want, you know, for you and I on this show, that's not the case. 
And that's a good thing. Uh, but to Amy and to those who, you know, who see that opportunity to make sure that their voice is heard, that's a beautiful thing. But I think in 2022, what we're recognizing is there's certainly another space. There is the other side of that coin. And I think it's the rec- that's the reconciliation we have all have to have is, are you prepared to hear something you don't want to hear? And do you, how do you, you know, be okay with hearing that other side of it? Right. Let's get into Hollywood's biggest night. Obviously, there's so many other topics and pressing issues, but I really want to talk about this because this was trending so much on Twitter. I was not watching the Oscars. Uh, all of a sudden, I see trending what happened. And I'm going to play for you the full exchange of what happened so you can kind of get the context of the joke. And then Nick and I are going to talk a little bit about this because um, there's a societal part of this. There's a deep-seated animosity, if you will, potentially between the two guys and some jokes from recent years. But then there's also, hey, take that backstage. Don't do that in front of the nation. And there's some of that. And there's been takes all across the sphere. But first, the exchange between Will Smith and Chris Rock. If you did not catch the Oscars this past Sunday, take a listen to this. He is praying that Will Smith wins. Like, please, Lord. Jada, I love you. G.I. Jane 2, can't wait to see it. All right? <laughs> it's, that, was a, that was a nice one. Okay. Oh, wow. Wow. Will Smith just smacked the shit out of me. Will Smith just smacked the shit out of me. Wow, dude. Yes. It was a G.I. Jane joke. G.I. Jane no joke out of fucking mouth. I'm going to, okay? <laughs> I can, oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, okay. So, listen, folks. Uh, when someone says something and then four octaves later, higher, uh, they repeat it. Um, yeah, that's a that's a warning shot. I'm I'm shocked that people thought that this was some type of spoof. Now I get how you could think at the onset of it because Will was kind of laughing. He didn't see Jada's reaction initially to the joke. Let me give some history quickly uh, because Chris Rock has obviously hosted the Oscars a couple of different times. There was a boycott uh, a few years back, if you remember, and the and the trending Oscars so white that was happening on Twitter. And people like Jada and Will boycotted the show. And obviously, uh, Chris Rock made a joke about Jada Pickett-Smith, you know, kind of belittling her career and saying, you know, her boycotting is like him boycotting Rihanna's, you know, underwear. Um, he wasn't invited. And that was kind of the joke. And then he made fun of Will Smith for how much he garnered on the the, the film Wild Wild West. Um, that led to another joke at another function that Chris Rock kind of levied against Jada Pinkett Smith. And now obviously you get this joke about GI Jane, and we should mention that she is battling alopecia. We had Christy Valdeseri on the program. If you remember uh, a while back, a former SI swimsuit model who was on the cast of big brother and she's, you know, dealt with alopecia and she came on to talk about the support group that she started around that. I have mentioned that my niece suffers from it. So I get the touch and go uh, nature of you know, making a joke about somebody that's actually going through hair loss. And to the people, I've, I've seen this from a couple of uh, people, some, some that are friends that say, well, she's rich, she can put on a wig. I mean, that is insanely insensitive, incredibly insensitive. And one of the stupidest things I have ever heard somebody say 
that she can just put on a wig. It, it, it's that's not how it works. Okay, you try shaving your head and then going out there and and your eyebrows because remember it affects hair loss in a bunch of different areas. And society loves the way people look. So you try doing that as a female, specifically as a black female, and try doing that. Um, you know, you, I, I would imagine you fold like a like a lawn chair. But anyway. Um, so I'm already incredibly uh, annoyed about that, that I saw some people, you know, writing that. But here's what I will say about the overall incident. Um, you know, comedians love to hide behind this. Well, I'm a comic. I can say anything. That's not wrong. And I, I will agree that free speech is just that free speech. You are entitled to make fun of people, um, whether or not it's insensitive and crosses a line. That's where we get to this part. You are allowed to tell the joke. You're not allowed to tell the person who the joke is about how they should feel about it. It's that simple. If you don't get that concept right now, turn this show off. Go listen to somebody else that that, that placates to your sensitivities. Because if you don't get that as a comedian, yes, you're allowed to tell the joke. Just like a chef is allowed to make a meal. But I'm paying for the meal. I'm sitting there. The meal comes out. If it sucks, I'm allowed to say that it sucks just because you think it's good doesn't mean that I think it's good. And in this instance, we can argue whether or not the joke's not about Will, but it is about Will's wife. And it has been repeated numerous times in this similar venue and format by this same comic who has attacked the his wife's looks, career, etc. So there's a almost like a trickle down, like a, you know, everything's pressing up against this dam and a small joke like that about GI Jane two, right. All of a sudden breaks the levees and Will Smith forgets where he is, goes up on stage and hits Chris Rock. And then you heard, you know, his voice escalate a couple octaves there as he's repeating vulgarities um, at, at Chris Rock. Uh, I wanted to put that all in great language just to say, and now let me be real for a second. And not that I wasn't, but um, it's not that hard. You can't hide behind that. I'm a comic and you make a joke about somebody and somebody takes the joke the wrong way. You can't tell them how they feel about the joke. You, you, just, you just can't. You're allowed to make the joke for sure. Just like they're allowed to feel a certain way about the joke. I, one thing I will say about this entire incident that I thought was really, really good perspective from a New York times writer. He wrote, take a listen, take a read about this entire exchange and how pressing it is. And it was a picture of Will Smith and the link was to global warming and something that's happening. And I thought that was so funny because it is true at the surface, there are way more important things that are happening in this world, but at this small, and I never know if it's micro or macro level, um, there is an exchange between these two famous actors, right? that are both minorities, that are both representing a culture that the culture does not want to see that play out on television, right? We had, when we had Chad Sanders on, we talked about Chad wanted to interview or do a certain things a certain way to not mess it up for the next person behind them, right? That looks like him, that sounds like him. And I think about that when I think about what happened between Will and Chris Rock. And if you heard in Will's acceptance speech, about maybe 10, 15 minutes later, he talked about Denzel Washington saying that kind of same thing, right? The devil will come from you where you're at your highest, right? And it was kind of like a, hey, man, you shouldn't have done that here. This is not the place for that, right? Because uh, to the surface, people will see that and see black man hits black man. And now, you know, uh, that you can't take them anywhere, right? That, that's how that would play out in certain circles that I roll in. Okay. And I say this as my 
father, you know, is a black man. So um, I'm, I'm very, you know, like I'm very, I'm, I'm mystified that people don't get that you can't hide behind the I'm a comic part of this. And just because you can tell the joke doesn't mean you can tell me how I feel about the joke. Like this is not that hard. And two wrongs don't make a right. Will Smith was entirely wrong to do that there. I think Nick, you tweeted something about this. You know, handle that backstage, handle that, let the let the tabloids run wild with, you know, Will Smith confronts Chris Rock as he gets off stage, something to that effect. But I think Will Smith lost track of where he was and the culmination of these different things happening from the same person to his wife is what led to this exchange. We'd love to get your takes as we sign off here for the people. Yeah, I, exactly. I mean, as you mentioned, what I tweeted, um, it it felt like something back of the house, just, you know, two guys that there's clearly um, not even misunderstanding, but something's need to get called out. Um, It seemed like a missed opportunity because I mean, had he not slapped him when he won the award for best actor, which awesome job, not getting like escorted off (laughs) the venue, you know, managing to stay, but he's Will Smith. That's going to happen. Yeah. I, I think I was more, I was more taken aback by, just the different directions that people took this on social media. You know, some people like something that resonated resonated with me was the concept of, you know, all too often we have associated violence with the protection of love, you know, and, and under the heading of toxic masculinity. And I forgot someone had said this perfectly well. It might've been Dr. Jason Johnson um, or someone else I follow, but it was an important detail that, you know, we to associate violence with, you know, the willingness to protect someone. Oh, someone else had said, you know, how many women have been assaulted and the justification is of love. And that seemed to play out here. Um, yeah, it just on both sides of it, it just seemed unnecessary. Um, it does seem out of bounds. I, now, I don't even know whether Chris Rock knew she had alopecia. I'm still not sure about that. Uh, but to make fun of someone of a condition that they have no control over does seem just unnecessary. Um, but at the same time, if you're going to get, if we're going to get up and slap the shit out of people, you know, every time for something said inappropriately, I don't know where we move to, you know, as a society. But um, which is interesting because I think in isolation, there's that phrase again. If I if you had told this situation out to me about someone telling an inappropriate joke and the husband gets up or, or the spouse gets or the wife gets up and, you know, slaps the shit out of someone, where do I stand with that? And I probably would have been, depending on the joke, maybe okay with it, but then seeing it play out and seeing Will just losing it, you know, back at his seat, this all felt uncomfortable. Um, and again, I'm not going to fall into the camp of like, do you slap someone? Do you not slap? Like whatever. That's just two guys that just, you know, we're being stupid about it. Um, I will say that, you know, Will's uh, apology that came out, you know, earlier today, earlier today points to the fact that Mike, as you said, he just went to a bad place. Just the emotions got the better of him and what prompted him to get up there, you know, lay his hands on someone came from a place of, and I think this is the important distinction. Was that ego? Was it, you know, my wife, my, my partner has been harmed and I have to do something which is a whole big conversation about what form of protectionism is this, or is it, you know, this person that I love is, is, is hurt right now. And I feel the need to do something about it by hurting someone else in either equation. I don't know if you're necessarily addressing the issue here. You know, someone said something stupid. You can always deal with it 
you know, off stage or just get up and leave. I think that would have been an even bigger statement, you know, not even accept the trophy. Like, no, well, you can mail it to me, but just like, you know, take your wife out of there and be like, we're, we're gone. Yeah. You don't even think of that. That's actually not a terrible idea. But either way, uh, like you mentioned, like I mentioned, if you have not seen this exchange, please you check it out online but you can also see like uh nick just mentioned will smith's apology he posted that recently to instagram speaking of instagram uh follow our show please instagram twitter tiktok at can we please talk podcast on twitter at can we please talk video clips of all of our interviews live on our youtube channel just type in can we please talk and please hit the subscribe button and follow us on youtube for all the video uh, portions of our interviews and also we want to thank ACAS. shout out to ACAS, our hosting platform as always you can support this show in the show notes click on the link or if you heard the young lady at the beginning of the show that always says love this podcast here's how to support to it please support so we can continue to bring out this incredible content our thank yous again to amy hargrave for coming on the program as always i am mike leon shout out to romeo this is nick saberi <laughs> See everybody next time. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.